0: Villas Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. Allow us to bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are just a gracious God that's full of patience and mercy. Lord, you choose to use us even though we're sinful, but you use us in order to advance your gospel message forward. And I just pray that we can be a church that does just that, especially right here in our neighborhood, Lord, because there's so many people who do not know who you are. I pray that we are open to you using us. We also want to pray to you today to ask for you to open doors and prepare hearts for your message, that we can hopefully deliver to our community. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're still in our sermon series, testing our assurance. We're going systematically, verse by verse, consecutively through 1 John. And and the thing is that we want to remember, the thing is that we have got to remember, here at Villa's Grace, we do not believe that you can lose your salvation. We believe when we read the Bible that we can be guaranteed, we can be reassured of our salvation, especially by what we see in Scripture. Most of us have heard the idiomatic proverb, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Have you heard that before? If you're like me, you often wonder like, what does that even mean? The grammar is a bit out of a sorts, wouldn't you say? It actually make more sense to me if it said, you can't eat your cake, then still have it too. But whatever the case may be, the meaning remains the same. See, what it's really saying is this, you have to either eat your cake and it's gone or keep it and it's not. And by judging the look on this little girl's face, I don't know if she's made up her mind yet. See, the proverb illustrates the idea of trade-offs. It's either this or that. It's either this one or the other. You just can't have both at the same time. Church, the same is true for us as Christians, especially in our decision to love. And I want to emphasize the word decision. See, it's simple. Either we choose to love others or we do not. And this Christian principle brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. The title for our sermon is this, love one another. Love one another. We're going to be in 1 John. You can open your Bibles with me or the verses will be provided on the screen for you. 1 John chapter 3. Verses 11 through 15. See, last week we learned that the customary performance as a Christian is righteousness, not sin. That's the customary performance as a Christian. We learned that we can begin to practice righteousness by first loving God and then secondly, loving others. And as we read aloud our text today, please keep in mind this one thing. Keep in mind where it is that love actually leads. What's the end result of us loving others? And please keep in mind also where hate leads. Where does it lead when we hate others? So 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Amen. When we look at these verses this morning, we want to put them into this one sentence. This one sentence defines the five verses that we're looking at this morning, and it's this. Love leads to life, while hate leads to death. Love leads to life, while hate leads to death. Let's ask a question then. The question we're asking this morning is this. What characteristic reveals the assurance of our eternal life? Or we could say, what character trait reveals the assurance of our eternal life? The character trait is this. The desire to love others. And that's a key word there. It's the desire to love others. Now, see, of these two Mickey Mantle baseball cards that you see on the screen, they're both from the same era, or actually, shall I say, the same year. They're both 1952 Mickey Mantle rookie cards. They're both in the same physical condition. Now, a Mickey Mantle rookie can fetch anywhere from $45,000 to $2.5 million. So, of these two Mickey Mantles that you see, which one would you choose knowing that? And you need to choose wisely because one might just fetch you 45 grand and the other might fetch you 2.5 million. Which one would you choose? Would you rather have the one on the left or the one on the right? I heard the right, which is the right. Answer. See, the reason why the one on the right is worth more is because if you look at those white borders and you look at Mickey Mantle's picture, it's perfectly centered in the middle of the card. That makes that card that much more valuable because there's fewer Mickey Mantle's that are centered just like that. See, it's a minor detail to some of us. But it's not. Having that card be centered isn't a minor detail. It's actually a really big thing. And when something is centered, it becomes the central focus. The central focus of the one that could fetch you $2.5 million is Mickey Mantle centered perfectly on that card. So it's not a minor detail. Church, do you know what the good news is centered on? The good news of salvation for hell-deserving sinners through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Do you know what that good news is centered on? It's not a minor detail. The central focus, the central theme of the gospel is God's love. Let's look at verse 1 again. Or verse 11, excuse me. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. What beginning is John talking about here? What beginning is he talking about? See, since the beginning of the gospel, the good news of salvation, love has been at the center. Just like the Mickey Mantle rookie card. If his image is centered, it's more valuable. The value of the good news is evidenced by God's love being at the center. If God's love is not at the center of the gospel, it's not as valuable. What then does God's love reveal to us? I think that's a fair question for us to ask. What is it that God's love reveals to us? God's love reveals to us, what does it say right here in the text? That we should love one another. Our love, as it says, of one another is not an assignment. We have some of us here this morning who have just recently graduated from college. We have some high school students who are going to be graduating from high school here really soon. And they know that teachers or professors will give you an assignment. Our love for one another is more like evidence, not an assignment. It's an evidence of our assurance of eternal salvation. Do you find yourself wanting to love a little bit more than what you normally would have in the past, especially maybe before you knew Christ? Do you find yourself loving people that you could never have found yourself loving before you knew Jesus? If so, allow this love to act as evidence of your assurance of eternal salvation. Why should we be doing this? Because it says this right here. The message that you have heard from the beginning. Church, we love because of what John wrote in his gospel account. Not in 1 John, but what he wrote in the Gospel of John. And this is what John wrote in the Gospel of John. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, Church, we love because of what John wrote in the next chapter of John. And John, 1 John chapter 4, which we will be getting to in some weeks here. But he wrote this. We love because he first loved us. Church, we love because the gospel of John recorded Jesus as saying. This is Jesus' words. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Are you recognizing how God's love is the central focus of the gospel message? So doesn't it feel good to be loved knowing you do not even deserve it? If you're sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, well, I deserve God's love, you're fooling yourself. We should be sitting here this morning saying, I don't deserve God's love. Doesn't it feel good to know that you're loved, knowing that you do not deserve His love? Not one of us here deserves the love of God, but yet He first loved. For He so loved the world, John three sixteen. So, are you doing the same for others? Are you loving others who do not deserve it? And if so... You're doing so because of what we're saying this morning. We're saying that love leads to life while hate leads to death. That's why we love. And we're asking this question. What character trait reveals assurance or the assurance of our eternal life? The desire to love others. And think about that word desire as we pick up our next four verses as we get there. Because... John's language could be a bit harsh. So, we've already gone through these five verses once. i want to ask this question. What really happened between Cain and Abel? If you think back to Genesis 4, what really happened between Cain and Abel? See, they both brought offerings to God, didn't they? Do you know what the difference was between their offerings? Abel knew that he couldn't have his cake and eat it too. That was really the difference. The Bible says this in Genesis 4. It says, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portion. See, Cain offered God what Cain wanted to offer God. Cain in his own mind said, this is what I want to offer God. So therefore, I'm going to give him this offering. Abel, knowing that he couldn't have his cake and eat it too, offered God what God wanted him to offer. He didn't offer God what Abel wanted to offer God. He offered to God what God asked him to offer. God then offered Cain some advice because Cain was trying to have his cake and eat it too. And this is what God said to Cain He said, If you do well, you will not be accepted. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you but you must rule over it. God offered Cain some wisdom but what happened when that sin was crouching at the door? He rejected God's wisdom. He refused to repent. And the temptation of the crouching sin led to him killing his brother. Cain's Hatred and jealousy led to death again, like we see in the text this morning. It's an either-or scenario. We have Abel, a child of God, and then we have Cain, a child of the devil. Church, as children of God, our desire is to love him and others children of the devil are lovers of self think about that and think about what your desire is as we read these next verses verses 12 through 15 we should not be like Cain who was of the devil and murdered his brother and why did he murder him because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous do not be surprised brothers that the world hates you We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Murder is the result of hate. It's just that simple. And when it's played out into its fullest form, again, what did Cain offer God? What Cain wanted to offer God. Not what God wanted him to offer. God didn't accept Cain's offering due to his sinfulness. He had a jealous heart which led to hate, which led to murder. Abel, on the other hand, was righteous. Because he lovingly gave God what God wanted. Now let's compare verse 12 to verse 13, as we think about that. See, verse 12 depicts what happens when hate is played out. Very clearly in verse 12, we see this is what happens when hate is played out. And verse 13 says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you over there, and you back over there, and and you over there, and yeah, you. Do you recognize what John is saying? He's warning us that the world wants to murder us. The world wants to murder us. Now, we live in a crazy culture. Society is much different today than what it once was. See, we live in a culture that's becoming more and more godless. So this is just a warning. Be careful. If society and culture is becoming increasingly Godless, taking the morals out of culture that God instilled in us as believers. And we know this is true. There's no denying this. Be careful. When you see a quote unquote Christian on TV who's famous and popular in the world is allowing to have a platform, just remember what this verse says The world hates you. Do not be surprised, John says. When you see a quote unquote Christian in the spotlight like that, examine them, test them, see if they're actually preaching truth, teaching truth, representing truth. We have to take this seriously and we have to take it seriously as we move forward. We can say we want to be a church that's all about building relationships that make followers of Jesus. We can want that in our heart. But since the world hates us, we're going to have some roadblocks. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. But take hold in the hope that we have in Christ. He conquered death. And that's what we're seeing hate lead to this morning. So did the world murder Jesus? The answer is yes. Did the world murder Jesus? Ten of his eleven remaining disciples, minus Judas, yes. John was the only disciple that actually made it into old age. Should we worry about this? Should we be concerned that the world's going to hate us? No. Why? What does verse 14 say? We know that we have passed out of death into what? Life. What do we have to be worried about? Accepting Jesus is to come out of death into life. We came up out of that grave, didn't we? We sang about that this morning. It's to come out of hate into love. This is why we observe our love as evidence. Not an assignment. Evidence. How are we able to do this then? Well, let's look at the Bible because the middle of verse 14 tells us we're able to do this. We're able to look at love as being evidence of our eternal salvation because we love the brothers, John writes. If you find that you desire to love one another, it's evidence of your eternal salvation. But take a look at the end of verse 14. It says, whoever does not love abides in death. See, the word abides means to accept and act in accordance with. If you choose not to love somebody else, you're choosing to act in accordance with death, which is the opposite of life. What do you find yourself abiding in? When you examine your own life and your own relationships, what do you find yourself abiding in? What do you find yourself accepting? Hate, which leads to death, or love that leads to life, church? Let's not overreact to John's extreme language this morning. Let's not overreact. We all have been known to not have been so loving to others. I think we're all guilty of that. This isn't a case of, well, you know, last week I wasn't so loving to my brother or my sister in Christ or just somebody else. So therefore, I'm not saved. No, that's not what John's saying. Maybe we've avoided certain people to associate with. Maybe we're guilty of that. However, this does not indicate that your eternal salvation is in question. That's not why John is using this extreme language. God does not judge us on us being imperfect. So if you're worried about that right now, you need to get over it. If you're worried about that right now, you need to get over yourself. It's not about you being perfect. God judges us on the work of Jesus and our accepting of him. So what is your desire? And that's why we're emphasizing that word. What is your desire? Yeah, you might mess up and you might not be so loving. You might say some things that come off kind of hateful. I've been accused of that in the last two weeks. My own sister told me that stormed out of my house And what I thought I said wasn't that hateful, but she knows me so well. I maybe spoke three or four words to her, and I spoke those in a tone that she's been hearing ever since she was one years old, driving me up the wall. But if you've ever meet her, don't tell her that. But not to mention she was driving me up the wall when she said, I said something hateful to her too. But The point is, it came across hateful. We're all guilty of this. And just because we act in this manner doesn't indicate that our salvation is at stake. It's all about knowing. It's not about not sinning. It's about what do we do when our sin is revealed to us. And if we're willing to repent, it shows that we are first loving God, then loving others, because we know that when we sin, we're either sinning against God or we're sinning against somebody else, but every time we are sinning against God. What is your desire? Do you desire to continue in hate? Or do you desire to continue in love? And as we grow in the Lord, our desire will increase day by day as we learn. As we learn how to love others better. We're not perfect in our love. We're not being asked in this text to be perfect in our love. We're being asked to learn how to love perfectly like Jesus, and we will never stop learning. Now, as Mike comes up, I want to reread verse 15 in its entirety. Verse 15 says, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. When you see this, what do you think John is telling us here? What do you think it is that John is actually saying to us? He's using that extreme language. He's saying, everyone who hates is a murderer. Hate is the same as murder. And for those of you that would say, well, I've never committed murder before. If you've hated somebody in your heart, you have, we're all guilty. See, the attitude behind the act is actually what God judges. It's the attitude. What is your desire? What is your heart's desire? That's what God is going to judge. This is why John opened this section with the example of Cain and Abel. It was Cain's attitude. It was the desire of his heart. It was his motivation that God judged in the end. Don't let Satan guilt you into questioning your salvation. You've probably had a few moments lately where you have. Moments where you may have chosen not to love. Church, God doesn't judge moments. He judged Jesus on the cross. He judges our motivation in accordance to our response to what Jesus has done for us in our sinfulness. So, is your heart motivated more by hate or is your heart motivated more by love that leads to life? Because hate leads to death and love leads to life. Remember, as we depart here today, that this is true. Love leads to life and hate leads to death and ask yourself that question what character trait reveals the assurance of eternal life don't let satan guilt you the character trait that reveals the guarantee that you are saved that you've come to a saving faith that is secure that's been sealed till the day of redemption by the holy spirit himself that you cannot be snatched out no one jesus says in john no one and snatch them out of my Father's hand. That character trait that you're looking for in your life is the desire to love others. Heavenly Father, amazing the encouragement that we can find in your word. Lord, I pray that we can spur one another on to the work that you have for us as a body of believers so we can share this good news with those who do not know you. All of this is prayed in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.